This is Just a Few Questions. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is Attorney Tosh Chandy. Welcome to the show, Attorney Chandy. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Now, you sound great. I met you, I met you a while back at, uh, if you will, uh, at the uh, at Ben Jarofsky's show, his uh, first Tuesday live uh, political talk show at the Nighthawk Bar. And you asked a question. We talked after the show. And, man, I said, this guy knows his politics. So before we get into the politics, <laughs> uh, Tosh Chandy, who is Tosh Chandy? And what type of law do you practice? Yeah, it's good to be here. So I'm an attorney in private practice. I primarily focus on real estate and civil litigation, mostly business litigation. So when it comes to real estate, pretty much everything besides evictions, primarily real estate closings, both residential and commercial. It's about half of that business and other real estate needs. Uh, in terms of civil litigation, partnership disputes, uh, partnership agreements, buyout agreements uh, with small businesses, That's pretty, those two are pretty much the bulk of my business. But you born you born and raised in Chicago, man, all your life, right? Well, actually, I was born in Ohio, but I came to Beverly when I was three, so I pretty much consider myself a Chicagoan. Um, I grew up in Beverly. My parents have lived there since early '80s, '83. Uh, I lived in different neighborhoods in the city, and I moved back to Beverly to be closer to them about six years ago. So now I'm back in Beverly now. Excellent, excellent. So we're gonna get into the politics real quick. So, you, like I said, you you know the town as well as we all do. So you can ask the question in your own way. <laughs> Uh, what should what should the mayor of Chicago and other civic leaders do to raise Chicago's population to three million people? Yeah, that's I mean that's a loaded question. I mean that's a that's a serious question. I know we've had a lot of people offer different opinions on this, and some talk about leadership, some talk about costs, some talk about safety. I think the two primary drivers. Um, are safety and costs. It seems like um, when you talk to most Chicagoans, I'm talking about the average Chicagoan, not the very wealthy or not even the very poor, you know, the average working class Chicagoan, it seems like the increased costs and the safety or the lack of safety, or maybe the perception of the lack of safety are the two drivers of causing people to leave. I know a lot of people are moving to uh, the South of the United States, Atlanta, Texas are very popular um, for both blacks and Hispanics. Um, and I mean, this is just, uh, you know, it's something we've seen now kind of exacerbated even during COVID, but even before that, you know, so when you look at, um, safety, when we really look at the safety numbers, I think the MacArthur foundation, they did, a a, uh, a, a report and a study with UIC, I think it was that I looked at some time ago. And that said during the last 10 years, um, the people that have left Chicago, were not white collar employees, but more uh, of those working in the trades, you know, maybe like blue collar and trade jobs. So if you see that, then I think the best thing the mayor and the administration do is kind of encourage that. You know, we don't seem to have the trades anymore, whether it's in high schools or even, you know, some kind of system to encourage students to go into the trades. I mean, quite frankly, everybody's not going to go to college. Everybody's not planning to be or obtain an advanced degree. So if we can get more of these young kids, especially on the South and West side into trades, I think you would see more of those opportunities, you know, for them to get into. And then, you know, you have the whole issue with the unions and, and the city and, you know, sometimes it's difficult to get into some of these plumber and electrical unions if you're not, you know, well-connected or if you don't know individuals. And I think if we can open up those opportunities, we could get more people into those, into those kind of jobs, which would, you know, cause people to want to stay here. In terms of the costs, I think we need to do something. I know there used to be a program. I used to be a realtor as well, and there used to be a program 
that would encourage city employees, whether teachers or policemen, to get grants and down payment grants and assistance to purchase homes in the city. Since I had to live in the city, I think if we can reduce some of those costs of homeownership and increase the participation of homeownership, you would see more people choosing to stay in, stay in the city, you know, stay in Chicago proper. Yeah, and yeah, you know the city. You've been here a long, long time, and we're both Southsiders. And the South Side, you know the South Side. We all, but when I say you know, a lot of Chicagoans don't know the South Side, and I mm-hmm. mean straight South, not Southwest by the airport, right? Uh, not so, I mean even Southeast, according to uh, order to the Indiana board border. Mm-hmm. And so, the issue, for, you know, I'm sort of one-minded, if you will. Is I, you know, my neighborhood when I was a kid, the, na- the houses were new. I didn't know they were mm-hmm. new because I was a kid. And mm-hmm. so I seen the neighborhood change. This is not the same Chicago we grew up with, and it's going mm-hmm. to change. So how how do you, not to be disrespectful of us, including people like me over sixty, that uh, we ain't gonna be here forever. None of us gonna be here forever. And so mm-hmm. as, as so we need to have to talk about a long term plan that will encourage people to move to this South Side where there is plenty of room. And ever since mm-hmm. I've been here, they always talking about they always they they if you were, were talking about. <laughs> Are uh, they trying to move black people out? I've been hearing that all of, all of my life, mm-hmm. and it's true, but it's not true at the same time. What, what, what would you do if, if if you had a you had some pull with the city lead, leadership and the, and, the, and the visionary leadership? How would you make that change? I don't want to say transition. That sounds too nasty. Where you're going to have less African Americans, or you're going to encourage people to move into African American neighborhoods, or that are slowly and but surely depopulating to the point where it's, it's safe to move in now to most of the black folks are gone. Well, I mean, there there are programs like that, and, I, and you see that happening. I mean, you see wh- whether you go to Bronzeville or you go to um, parts of Woodlawn, you do see uh, these communities uh, becoming more integrated and, and gentrified. So I think that is happening. Um, one thing is, of course, the safety aspect or with the perception of safety. So I don't. I know crime has uh, gone down over the last ten years overall, but I know there has been an increase, and in, of course, carjackings and and some violent crime has increased. But until this perception of safety or lack of safety uh, kind of turns around, it's going to be hard for people to sometimes feel comfortable to live live in the cities, and, and that's just a fact. And sometimes it's based on data, and sometimes it's not. But I mean, this this is a big big problem. I mean, you have to involve the police department. You have to a better cooperation between the police and the neighborhoods and more communication. But until that narrative kind of changes where people feel comfortable, I don't think you'll see people, you know, running back to move back to the city. I mean, we don't see that right now. You know, we see people going to the suburbs, we see people going to Indiana, we see people going, moving out of state to the South. So I think that safety perception and the costs, you know, getting city workers, giving them incentives to purchase in the city, whether it's a down payment grant some kind of uh, special uh, mortgage with with the lender, some kind of um, incentive in that sense. There has to be some kind of incentive in that, in that I believe. Before we went on the air, attorney, um, you said you went to school in the neighborhood what they would consider the hood, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we both, you know, live south of uh, whatever, 63rd Street, if you will. And some people would say, yeah, I, I don't want to raise my children in that neighborhood and they'll be forced or somewhat forced to go into school to the school. And I'm saying a lot of African-Americans say this. This, not a, this is a class thing just as much as a race thing. That mm-hmm. I don't want to go to school. I don't want my children to go to, the, to those schools with those children. 
those particular mm-hmm. type of African-American children. That's something, you know, it's not polite to talk about. And I mean, it's not nice to talk about in public, but that is the reality. How do we get around that perception and say, OK, you can move here and there's a good school for your children, safe and a good education. How does the, how does the mayor and civic leaders uh, sell that to future Chicagoans? Well, one thing they have to do is they have to invest in these schools. You know, quite frankly, a lot of these schools have been disinvested in. I mean, when I was going to Edgar Allan Poe Classical, I mean, that was probably one of the top-ranked schools in the city. And we had violin. We had a great um, great facility. I mean, we had brand-new keyboards. We had brand-new um, instruments. I mean, you have to put money into these schools, you know what I mean, to attract parents and students. And, and that will, I believe encourage these parents to send these children. I mean, they do it, they do it in gentrifying neighborhoods. They do it on the North side, you know what I mean? And they do it on certain schools on the South side. But if some of these schools and they're in horrific condition, I mean, you walk into them, the, the bathrooms don't look like they have been maintained or have running water. I mean, they're in rough shape, you know, and of course the population are down a lot of the schools too. But if I think the city has to really make a concerted effort to invest in these neighborhood schools, but a gift or not, if they really want to encourage people to remain there. Because, I mean, that's a big, you know, when I was selling real estate, that's a big consideration for parents when they purchase a home and they, they you know, where, where are we going to send our kids to school? Is there any, can we send them down the street? No, that school looks like it's falling apart. Well, we're going to have to move to the suburbs. I mean, that's that's a major consideration. Well, that's America. We not we have never been good. Uh, we haven't done separate but equal at all very well. And I mean, I don't think we've done it well in this, in this town, in most towns. But you, you mentioned Poe. Poe was a school, mm-hmm. as I remember, was a school that you had to test into. So you sort of mm-hmm. se- segregated the students. Mm-hmm. So if you were an average student, you're a struggling student, you're a uh, uh, student that came from a, a troubled, uh, you know, you know, mm-hmm. a troubled home, if you will. I hate to say that. You didn't go to Poe. You went to the other right. schools. And uh, I mean, not to say nothing about uh, Wendell Smith or anything else. But like you said, if, you had a, if a parent had a choice between nothing bad about Wendell Smith people, okay, don't get mad. If you had a choice between Wendell Smith and Edgar Allan Poe, you choose Poe. But if you can't get your child into a, 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 a Edgar Allan Poe, you say, I can't send him to Smith. And, you know, and how, do, how, does, how does the city get around that? Like I said, and I think Brandon Johnson said this when he ran for mayor. I mean, why, you know, now there's talk about eliminating the selective schools and the gifted schools and making them all equal. But I mean, I, I think he had mentioned it when he ran that, you know, we have to invest in all of these schools. You know what I mean? That's the way to get around that. That shouldn't be the the case in one certain neighborhood. One school has new facilities, great music room, a great music studio, great art studio, you know, a great performing arts studio. And the other school has has nothing and no textbooks and no working bathroom. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah, but but, 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 but that's true. But I'm saying the other one is that it's like even in the class issue, if you're an African-American person in the South Side, you say, I, I, well, you know, we have, it's not, sometimes it's not even income, it's values. We have certain values and we don't want to send our children to the school with those values. And, and I don't want to get into uh, Stacey Davis Gates sending her boy to, uh, uh, to a Catholic school, which I understand if I had her money, but if I was the president, of course, this is a little commentary. If I was the president of CTU, I wouldn't do it. But the point is that you had a choice between that Catholic school and, and, and Harlan, the neighborhood, Harlem, Harlan, the neighborhood school. You don't do that, and you're not. Yeah. Go, and you and we and anytime soon, we're not going to put the resources into a Harlan. So you say, okay, I, maybe I don't want it because you had a choice. You know how it is. If you had a choice between Harlan and Gwendolyn Brooks, you get your kid in Gwendolyn Brooks, right? You know how it works, right? This is not. Mm-hmm. So how does the CTU and the CPS and the mayor of, of the city get around the reality of class? Yeah. Well, I mean, now now you're onto a bigger bigger 
point. But you're but you're right. Where it seems like in most cities, including Chicago, there is there uh, uh, there is that distinction between class, even amongst races, right? So that does happen. I mean, I don't know if that's something the mayor or you know, it's putting a lot of pressure on the mayor and administration to try to figure that problem. I mean, it's a national problem. You know, that's a that's an issue when it comes to class, but. I personally think the way you get around that is by interacting with different people. You know, if, if you only interact with those that are same class as you and, and your social circle, I mean, you will, you may always have stereotypes. You may always feel in your mind that, you know, things that are, that aren't even true. So I think the more interaction you have and the more exposure you have, I mean, probably the better that that turns out. You know, politics very well. And, and you, know, you did the real estate or you still do. I forgot. And your attorney, have you ever, ever thought about <laughs> running for political office in the city of Chicago? I have thought about that. I have thought about running for aldermen. I do. I do find the job of aldermen and the position of aldermen to, to be quite fascinating. You know, I wasn't very interested in national politics, even state politics, that level in Springfield. But I do find the actual position of aldermen in the city to be to be one that's that's kind of underappreciated for the average constituent. I mean, people make the joke, oh, they make sure the garbage gets picked up and the streets are clean and, you know, potholes are, there's a lot, there's a lot, lot, that, that's probably five, 10% of what Alderman does. There's a lot more things than Alderman has impact on a neighborhood when it comes to economic development, when it comes to zoning, when it comes to housing, when it comes to affordable housing, when it comes to schools, when it comes to police. I mean, the amount of, uh, you know, input the Alderman has in your community is, is enormous. And I think there's a kind of a disconnect between residents and their aldermen. They just go, oh, they're there, they're doing, you know, making sure the garbage is picked up. They're, they're doing this, they're doing that. But there's just so many things that aldermen can do to benefit, to benefit communities. And when you look, especially on the south side and the west side, you look at some of these communities and you've had these aldermen, and it's not to speak bad on them, but when you've had aldermen that have been there for decades and you, you see the disinvestment, you see how the streets look and you see the lack of investment, whether it's a business or in the schools, you kind of feel for these people, you know, you kind of feel like there's got to be a better way. And you're seeing it now. You're seeing younger black um, aldermen um, run for office. You're seeing younger black um, uh, individuals who are making their own political action committees, even in the Hispanic communities. You see younger uh, Hispanics running for aldermen and running for office. So I think that's changing. I mean, obviously, we see in the city councils changing. Well, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the first mayor daily was mayor. That Chicago does not exist anymore. But do you mm -hmm. think that since uh, that old Chicago back in the day, Chicago's been gone um, and we have new people and new leadership, will less, less corruption in Chicago, will that help the common person and the commoners like me in the city of Chicago? Less corruption, would it be a better Chicago when we have less corruption? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a, Mark, that's a good question. So if, if there's less corruption, will it benefit the average Chicagoan? It seems like the simplest answer would be, of course, less corruption, less waste, um, and the average Chicagoan will benefit. I think um, this, may sound this may sound controversial, but it depends how we v look at corruption. So when you say, if, you, if we're going to define corruption as an alderman who's just out for themselves and whether they're taking bribes or they're just uh, benefiting themselves only. Of course, if there's less of that, then uh, the average constituent in that ward should benefit, right? We, they should see more of the resources go down to the community on the, on the ground, you know, whether it's in the schools or in the streets or in their infrastructure in their neighborhood. But if I take that question to mean 
if we move away from politics of old and go into a completely new way of doing city council and operating as an alderman, uh, will constituents benefit? I would push back a little bit and say maybe not. Does that make sense? I know I'm kind of giving you kind of no, a no, no. That's the answer I would give. More things change, more they stay the same. But you know, how right? Did, you get what I'm saying. That? So right. I guess what I'm saying is, if you're a new alderman and you come into that ward and you don't know how to cooperate with other aldermen, you don't know how to cooperate with different committees and and get the like you know I told Ben quote unquote get things done. Your neighborhood may not benefit. You fall, and that doesn't mean you have to cut a deal and you have to be corrupt, right? But you need to know how to navigate that system. You know, what I mean, you need to know how to draw these businesses to the wards. You you need how to, you know, as Ben talks about TIFs, you need to know how to implement TIFs and how to utilize TIFs to, to attract businesses. So there is some part of the old political system that you need to know and that you need to uh, probably, you know, utilize in order to affect your community. But I won't call, I don't call that corruption. You know, I'm kind of taking your question. I'm kind of expanding. No, it, but I, I, don't call I, I agree with you. I understand exactly what you're saying. Right. Uh, Attorney Chandy, uh, you're great. Uh, how do the people get in touch with you? They need to find you. You need an attorney. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's a simple enough website. You go to attorneytosh.com. So T-O-S-H. That's my first name. Attorneytosh.com. And um, I'd be happy to help you. Thank you for being my guest. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mark.